Hey, welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored you're here. The word Kalos means beautiful in, well, poorly pronounced Greek. But we're all about making known the beauty of Jesus. So why don't we dive in to last week's sermon right now. Well, we're in a series, this is the second message in a series called Stay in Love, and we're talking all about relationships, and I, I wanted to share a really funny joke about selfishness, but I decided I'm going to keep the joke to myself. I can't do it. Call me selfish if you might. <laughs> so last week... We talked about how we are called to love each other in our relationships like Jesus loved us. And it's not love as a noun. It's not just something you fall into. But love is an action word. Love is a verb. And so we challenge each other with this. You need to make love. Look at someone and say, you need to make love. <laughs> dot, 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 a verb. Try it again. You need to make love a verb. And, and we, real, we realize that, you know, falling in love is easy. Falling in love is something we can all do in a second. Falling in love just requires attraction. But staying in love requires a plan of action. And it's a lot harder to stay in love than it is to stay together. And so we are determined to stay in love and really fight for this. And this week, we're going to dig into this question about selfishness and how does selfishness really hurt our relationships. And I want to open up Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be really journeying through the scripture in this message. And let's read verses 3 through 8. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The title of my message today is, Is Selfishness Destroying Your Relationship? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your scripture, your word. And I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but doers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is something that's very difficult in my life, something that's very, very challenging. I remember when my wife, Amritha, Pastor Amritha here, first met my mother, she warned her, you know, my son, he's kind of high maintenance. He will not eat grapes unless they are individually peeled. You have to take the skin off of the grape before he will eat it. Namrito's like, good luck with that, honey. <laughs> I ain't no peeling no skin off no grape for no man. <laughs> and I was so high maintenance as a kid. And honestly, in my early dating relationships in high school, this actually impacted some of my romantic opportunities. I remember I went to a homecoming dance, and I invited this girl, asked her on a date. She was my girlfriend, Jessica, to a homecoming dance, and we got dinner before it, went to this very fancy restaurant. We sit down, we're talking, we're hitting it off. It's a great date. And we order the food, the food arrives on our table, 
we're talking, but our conversation starts to die down a little bit, and the tension increases, it becomes a little awkward, and we're not talking as much. Ten minutes pass by, and she looks at me, and she goes, hey, Pradeepin, why aren't you eating your food? And I realize I have not eaten my food for ten minutes. It's been sitting here the whole time. And I, I have to ask myself, Pradeepin, why aren't you eating the food? And I realize, oh my goodness, there is a reason I'm not eating this. But I do not want to tell her because it's very embarrassing. So I go back and forth. I got to tell her. She's wondering. It's awkward. I go, Jessica, here's the deal. The food has been sitting for 10 minutes. And the reason I'm not eating it is because I have been, uh, how do I say this? I've been waiting for you, my date, to cut my food like my mom cuts my food for me. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. I'm on, I'm on a date with a, a, a preschooler. <laughs> So long, long story short, she cut my food for me. Praise God. Can we give it up for God? She cut my food, made fun of me, and broke up with me. <laughs> Selfishness took a toll on my relationship. It didn't positively help that date. <laughs> and I, you know, in a more serious way, I think selfishness and looking for our needs to be taken care of, looking for people to cater to us, literally and metaphorically, I believe it's taking a toll on our current relationships and our future relationships. And the, the scripture talks about this that we read about in Philippians 3. It says, it starts off right off in the beginning of this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But that is not what we're taught in culture. We're taught, hey, I need someone to treat me like the queen that I am. I am taught that, hey, I need to be treated like a king. I'm going to get what I deserve. I need someone who is catering and tending and looking to my every whim, desire, and need. I'm going to get mine. That's what we're taught as a society, but that flies in the face of what this scripture says about how we're supposed to treat each other in relationship. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I, I just want to wonder, in this space, like, is selfishness destroying your relationship? Are you the selfish one? Are you building this based on, like, just getting your needs met? Or is there something more beautiful in the scripture you're applying in your life? And I mean, in the little ways, we look for someone to change their personality for us, to look better for us, to serve us and cater and do everything for us. And when people aren't satisfying in those specific ways, we get upset. And I, I've just seen this time and time again. And I want to ask some questions like, hey, is selfishness invading your relationship? Maybe you are the selfish one and it's taking a toll. So here are some questions, not an exhaustive list, but are you the selfish one in your relationship or have some mindsets that will invade your future relationships? When you don't get your way, you threaten to end the relationship, even if you don't mean it. Or do you give the partner the silent treatment instead of tackling difficult conversations in a mature way? Or maybe you don't accept constructive criticism or you expect your partner to listen to you vent, but you don't offer the same in return. You insist your perspective is always the right one. It's my way or the highway. You're rarely happy for your partner. You act impulsively without talking to your partner. You won't let your partner act impulsively. You yell or belittle to get your way. And if you're doing those things, guess what? You're the selfish one in the relationship. And honestly, like we talked about last week, usually the one with the least love wants the most control. Why? 
because lust takes, but love gives. For God so loved the world that he took, no, he gave. And if you're constantly taking and making someone adjust to you and following your preferences, your values, guess what? You're the selfish one in the relationship and you're doing the opposite of what the scripture tells us to do. Mara Opperman says it like this, selfishness in relationships can cause significant issues. Being selfish is all about I and not we, which is what a relationship is built upon. Relationships should be about being together. It's difficult to be together both physically and emotionally when you feel your significant other has no regard for your feelings. Selfish people don't add to the relationship and help it to grow. Instead, they're all about adding to their own life. Overall, dating a selfish person can lead to hurt, disappointment, and resentment. Some of us are already there. And that's why it's important for us to look at the scriptures and and build our relationships on the foundation of God's word. And today I'm not here to criticize or judge or condemn. I'm here to offer hope that as we align our relationships with the words of God, the ways of Jesus, there is hope for our marriages. There's hope for our engagements. There's hope for our dating relationships. There's hope for our future. There's hope for our families. Jesus has resurrection power for all of us in all the dead areas, all the broken patterns, all the things that we've inherited from our past relationships or our generational relationships as far as our parents and our grandparents. That does not determine how we live. We don't take our cues from culture, from the world, from society. We don't take our cues from our family. We take our cues from Jesus. And Jesus says, we don't have a 50-50 chance at a good relationship. We have a 100% chance of a good relationship as we build it on the foundation of God. Can I get a better amen? Amen. And so let's look at this scripture, Philippians 2. Do not Do not think out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, what are we supposed to do? What's the alternative? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so we need to value others above ourselves. And we need to look for people in our lives, if we're going to start a relationship, that will value us above themselves. And point number one I want to share from this is this. Desiring you is not the same as valuing you. And desiring someone is not the same as valuing. Like I said, lust takes, love gives. And you know, you can desire someone but not want to add value to their life. You just want to, I need you. Well, that's a dangerous statement because I'm not here to satisfy, you know, the, the void in your life that only God can satisfy, you know. I need someone who appreciates me, not needs me. And desiring someone, wanting that, is not the same as valuing and adding value. And so in this scripture, we're supposed to treat our significant other as more important than ourselves. And this is a scary thought. Pastor, are you saying, like, there are people in this world that are more important than me? Well, no, I'm not, I'm not, like we talked about last week, I'm not talking about some strange caste system in Christianity. I'm saying in the context of the scripture, there are times in our life where we have to treat someone else more important than us. Have you ever been the, not the most important person in the room? If you're hesitating to answer, the answer is yes. 
<laughs> I mean, if you've ever been to a wedding, guess what? You are not the most important person at that event unless you are the bride or the groom. And even, even if you're the groom, you're not the most important person there. <laughs> Sorry, Derek. <laughs> so Pastor Amrith and I, last week we officiated a wedding, co-officiated it. And uh, we like to get people together at rehearsal dinner and the event where we practice the ceremony. And we say, hey, everybody, this is all about the bride, honestly. I, I mean, the groom is important, but for me... Like, it's all about the, the bride. Whatever she wants, whatever her will, her way is, whatever her preferences are, it's going to happen. So Aunt Karen, I don't care what you want with the flowers. I don't care what pictures you want, Karen. Stop. No, you can't talk to my manager. I, I don't have, like, <laughs> okay? This is all about, I don't care where you want these family members to sit, what, like, time you want people to be dismissed, where the food needs to be. My question is, what does the bride want? Can't, don't you hate it when people try to make a wedding about themselves and not the bride and the groom? Like, yeah. let it be about them. Yeah. Let, I mean, let, just let them have their one day. I, I, and, and so we're, we're used to, like, deferring to the bride. Like, it, nobody at a wedding is waiting in line to talk to me, but they'll wait in line to talk to the bride and groom. And when, and when the bride talks to me, I'm not like, hey, correcting her posture. If she cracks a joke, I don't care if it's like the worst joke. I'm laughing. <laughs> you have a bright future. I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> woo, is this Jim Carrey? Woo <laughs> like, You know, I'm, I'm laughing at everything. I'm complimenting. I'm respecting her. I'm deferring to her. Why? She's the most important person in the room. And this is how the scriptures say we're supposed to treat our relationships. I, th I think many of our relationships, for those of us who are struggling in our marriages, if we treated our bride currently like we did on our wedding day, our marriages would get a lot better. If we treated grooms the same, come on. If we treated the groom as special as we did on our wedding day in the everyday, I think some marriages would be saved. I mean, this is what the scripture teaches us. Value the other is more important than yourself. Well, pastor, doesn't that mean they could take advantage of me? Well, let's look at a quote by Chuck Swindoll. Humility, the discipline of putting others ahead of self, the choice to value others above self, is at its core a matter of faith. So when you love someone in a biblical relationship, can they take advantage of you? And the answer is yes. And we're supposed to value what they want above us. Honestly, this is why it's so important who you marry. I mean, because you're placing your life in their hands. You're saying, I'm submitting my life to you. I'm going to let you lead me. I'm going to let you take care of me. My, my everything can be influenced and controlled by you. And so as you're considering, like, who you're dating and marrying, man, like, figure out, is this someone I want to trust with my entire life? Because this is what the scriptures call us to do. It is a matter of faith. It is so important. We need to treat each other with awe with respect, valuing their interests. Do you have awe in your relationship? I mean, we did this naturally when we first fell in love, right? 
she's awesome. He's awesome. Every, and we have that. We put the awe in awesome. Oh, my goodness. She looked at me today. Aww. <laughs> she called me on the phone today. Aww. And when we first started dating, Armita was like, he started washing his hair with shampoo. Aww. <laughs> he does hygiene now. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> hygiene. <laughs> I didn't use shampoo for about four years. Anybody with me? All right. Yes, yes. I'll, uh, don't, don't, don't get me started on big shampoo. They're trying to take over the world. <laughs> but, I mean, there, there's this awe in the relationship. And, I mean, that's how we started off. It, it, it's, it's natural. That's why we fell in love. But what happens is we need to do intentionally what we used to do naturally. Yeah. And that's what it takes to stay in love. That's why we make love a verb. What happened naturally must be maintained intentionally. And that is a posture in our hearts. They come first. The other comes first. So do you value your significant other as first? Or are you hoping that they just cater to your every win? I mean, the scripture says in verse 4, we don't look to our own interests. We look to the interests of others. And this is so challenging for me, you know, because I am... Guilty, I'm interested in what interests me. And I'm not naturally interested in what interests her. Hashtag Grey's Anatomy. It doesn't come naturally for me. You know, like when we first started dating, I'd invite her to go on these camping trips, be like, hey, let's get some people, let's camp on the beach, let's not bring any materials, just whatever we're wearing. And she was willing to do that. Remember in Korea, we found a beach on this island, and all of us just slept in the sand. Now, I gave her the luxuries of a tent. <laughs> I looked her interests, and now she is, you know, she was always willing to look to my interests. But now it's more of us looking to each other's interests, and it's a beautiful thing. It, you know, a person who's interested is just interesting. And I, I think that's something we need to do in our relationship. Look at the interests of others. Number two, I want to share this. Godly relationships aren't 50-50. They are 100-100. And so another way of saying this is you can't give half of yourself and expect to get all of your partner. You can't give half of yourself and expect to get all of your partner. And this is so important. Let's look at the scripture again. So we're talking about Jesus as 100% God. Like this is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, all of creation. And this is how he treated himself and how he adjusted in relationships. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's crazy. He didn't use his status for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is always the most important person in a room. But he doesn't demand to be treated like that. He, oh, it's just amazing. Jesus didn't play the God card to win a relationship with us. He humbled himself. The only reason we have a relationship with God is because he humbled himself. And this word kenosis is how this emptied himself in verse 7 is translated. It's the Greek word kenosis, which means Jesus emptied himself. 
He emptied himself. He didn't play the God card. He emptied himself. He said, I'm not going to demand that I'm respected. I'm going after a relationship. I, I deserve to be treated like the king of kings, but guess what? I'm, I'm humbling myself. I'm living on this earth. I don't even have a place to lay my head. I'm taking the initiative. I'm going after these people I love. I'm emptying myself. Some of us, can we be real? Your relationships are failing because you're full of it. You need to be like Jesus and empty it. And I'll convict someone. I mean, seriously, are you, are you full of yourself in the relationship? Full of yourself <laughs> in the relationship. I mean, can I be real? Like, I hate preaching relationship messages. I'm going to be honest. Because I have to practice it at home. <laughs> and as I'm reading the scriptures, I'm like, dang it. <laughs> no! I mean, it's like, what are you reading your sermon about? I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, just how to, how to rest. <laughs> That way she can't hold me to a standard. <laughs> Just lying on the ground. You know, so two weeks ago, I preached a message about, uh, you know, forgetting to renew the tabs in my car. And I got a ticket, $200 fine. And uh, it's been two weeks since I preached that. Have I placed new tabs in my car yet? No. I just don't like domestic stuff. You know, I'm, it just doesn't come naturally to me. Anybody with me? Like, cleaning the house, taking care of things. Let me think about big picture. You know, like, I want to live in a house. I've done my job. Big, I'm just, big picture, honey. Now, like, you carry the mental load of everything else. And so, like, you know, the windshield wiper was breaking on her car, and the tabs aren't there, still don't know where the insurance cards are, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> haven't done anything, you know. And uh, so, you know, it was creating some tension in a relationship because I was just lazy. And uh, that's my realm of responsibility. And so Amritha, she texted me. She said, hey, all these things are falling apart with the cars. Could you just love me by loving the car? I was like, oh, dang it. I have to. I'm preaching a sermon on this. <laughs> I, have, I have to love you this week. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I took care of it all. But then another opportunity came up, you know, part of our basement start flooding and things were kind of getting messy. And so I didn't even wait for her to ask me because she would have to ask me, hey, our basement's flooding. Could you help? help? <laughs> Usually she would have to ask. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let her in the flooded ba basement alone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good man. <laughs> so, so I just, like, with, before she took the initiative or asked, I just started taking care of it, borrowed a, a wet vac from the Aronas and started, you know, just like, Making it okay. And then she, she said, hey, honey, I noticed that when the basement was getting wet, like, you just took care of it. Like, I didn't have to nudge you, coerce you. I didn't have to nag you. You just did it. She's like, I kind of like that. <laughs> She's like, kind of did something for me. She's like, can I, can I interest you in a third child? <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, this is what happened naturally in the start of our relationship. And in order to stay in love, we need to maintain this intentionally. Amen? And this is what Jesus did. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He went low so that we could be raised to life. And I, I'm so thankful. And that, that love that God showed us 
It's the basis for every good relationship. And so some of us, we, we're lacking that love and we're at a deficit and we're waiting for someone to complete us. But your desire to be completed by a significant other, honestly, it fades away as you realize God completely loves you. And it's that example, it's that model that we mimic and we represent to our spouses. The same way Jesus loves me, I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to prefer you over me. You are the most important person in the room. Amen? Amen. Point number three, I want to say this. Winning arguments doesn't win hearts. It doesn't win hearts. You know, I, I want to rephrase it like this. It's okay to lose your pride over someone you love, but don't lose your love over your pride. It's okay to lose your pride over someone you love, but don't lose your love over your pride. Another way of saying that, I don't want what I'm due if that means I have nothing to do with you. I'll choose relationship over being right. And so I can maintain my rights, my status, and my pride, and then not have a relationship with you? Is that worth it? How is it worth winning an argument if I cause the one I love to lose? How do you win when the one you love loses? You don't. And Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself. He made our needs his desires. He made our frailty what his agenda was to strengthen. He emptied himself. And I I don't know, are you emptying yourself for your significant other? Are you making their deal your deal? Are you making their problem your problem, their issue your issue? And, And some of us, we just, I don't know, we try to win arguments. We try to get our way at the expense of staying in love. You can be right, but still lose a heart. Winning arguments does not win hearts. You know, it breaks my heart when I I see relationships or when I fall into this state where we're just hurting each other to get our way. We're yelling at each other. We're belittling each other. For what? To prove that we're smarter? To prove that we've phrased something the correct way? To, To prove that we are operating in a perfection No, I mean, this isn't the goal. The goal is relationship. Jesus could have been like, hey, I am the king of kings. You need to respect me. I am always right. But you know what? Instead of insisting, we treat him with respect right off the bat. He humbled himself and he pursued us where we were at. The only reason any of us have a relationship with Jesus is because he made it possible. He made the first move. He took the initiative. And there are some of our struggling relationships that will only be made possible if we say, hey, I'm not going to demand what I respect right now. I'm going to win this relationship. I'm going to win your heart. I'm going to love you even if it hurts, like Jesus who literally died in an attempt to win hearts, to make a way for us to all experience life and life abundantly. I don't want what I'm due if that means I'll have nothing to do with you. And so you can spend your life being right, making a point, getting them in shape, but if you don't have love at the end of the process, what's the point? Right? Would you rather be right or be with Mr. or Mrs. Right? 
I mean, that's the question. Are we willing to humble ourselves for one another? Are we willing to take that first step? Are we willing to say you're the most important person in the room? So selfishness destroying your relationship. Are you the selfish one? Who's the most important person in your relationship? The one who demands the most control is usually the one with the least love. Because lust takes, love gives. Give. Give. Like Jesus. I want to close with this story. It's kind of a parable, but it kind of demonstrates to me this dichotomy of selflessness versus selfishness in relationships. There's this wise priest, this parable says, that was asked by someone, hey, what is heaven like and what is hell like? And the priest said, well, here's a picture of hell. Hell is like this room that's filled with a giant pot of soup and it's mouth-watering. It's delicious soup and everybody wants it. And they have these long chopsticks to eat the noodles that are in the soup. But the chopsticks are so long that nobody can feed themselves. And so it's impossible to eat the soup. So they're forever in the presence of this mouth-watering, delicious soup, these noodles. They're right there, but they can never feast on its goodness because they can't feed themselves. That is hell. And he said, wow, that's so intense. What is, what is heaven like? And he said, well, it's, it's similar, actually. There's this room, and there's a giant pot of soup, and it's mouth-watering. There's noodles in it. Everybody wants it, and they have super long chopsticks, so they can't feed themselves. What? That's exactly the same. Well, here's the difference. They use their chopsticks to feed one another. So instead of starving because they can't feed themselves, they choose to feed the other person first. And because of that, in that community, in that relationship, they can feast on all of the goodness that God offers for them. In the same way, I believe that in our our relationships, our future relationships, selfishness starves the body, it drains the soul, and it will eventually crumble your marriage. Is selfishness destroying your relationship? Well, thank goodness we have the example of Jesus that we can follow in our lining and align our hearts to. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word, your scripture, this revelation. And if we are selfish in our relationship, Lord, would you just speak to us? Would you convict our hearts? Would you help us to line up with your model, your way, your ideal, that we wouldn't give up, Lord, that we wouldn't just say, hey, I'm falling out of love and there's nothing I can do about it. But Lord, we're going to work on our love and we're going to make our love work. We're going to fight for these relationships. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to serve our significant other, that we would place their interests above our own, that we would value them above ourselves, that we would empty ourselves for their benefit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow your example and we just apologize if we failed, we repent. Lord, would you help our mind be transformed into your desires and your ways, we pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed that sermon. We're gonna have a new one posted every single Monday. So see you back next week.
And if you're ever in the Seattle area, we would love to have you join us in church. Go to kalos.church or follow us on social media at Kalos Church for more information. See you next time.